chapter 21, endocrine and hematologic emergencies. What are we going to talk about in this chapter, you reckon? Diabetes. Diabetes. What else? Blood clots. Blood clots. People who can't form blood clots. Sickle cell. Things of that nature. How many types of diabetes are there? Three. Three, what are they? Diabetes mellitus has two types, but there's another type of diabetes. Not diabetes mellitus. Yeah. Hi? No, that's type one. You have diabetes insipidus and diabetes mellitus. Which one do we respond to? Which one causes problems to the point that people call 911? Mellitus, diabetes mellitus. What did old Wilford Brimley say? Who even knows who Wilford Brimley is? Diabetes. Yeah, diabetes. Check your blood sugar and check it often. No reason not to, right? Because the federal government's going to ship you all your testing supplies, right? So, all right. So we're going to talk about diabetes mellitus. Okay. Endocrine system. The human endocrine system. What does it do? What does the endocrine system do in general? Secretes hormones. What do hormones do? Regulate and control every body function you have, right? The endocrine system in conjunction with the nervous system, okay? Uh, It directly influences every cell, organ, and body function. Uh, Again, what are the two things that are required in a cell for a cell to produce energy? Sugar and oxygen, right? And we're talking about the body's ability to get that sugar in all the places that it needs to get. And, of course, the... The uh, pancreas, which is a part of the endocrine system, plays the major role in that. All right. The endocrine system, as we've already said, is comprised of a network of glands that produce and secrete chemical messengers called hormones. Uh, You got the pituitary gland, thyroid gland, uh, adrenal glands, the pancreas. And look in your book and read the rest of those for me. My eyes aren't that good. What's left? Okay. So, which one of those is considered the master gland? Why the pituitary? Why is that the master gland? It is. It is. It does regulate growth. That's a fact. We learned that in ninth grade, didn't we? What's that? It secretes six hormones, but what do those six hormones control? All the other endocrine glands. That's why it is considered the master gland. The pituitary gland controls all of them. Okay? So it is considered the master gland. Pituitary gland is located at the base of the brain. has a front and back region, which we call those anterior and posterior. And then the hormones secreted by the pituitary glands stimulate the other, endoc- uh, other endocrine glands. Adrenocorticotropic hormone or ACTH, what does it control? 
Okay. The follicle stimulating hormone, what does it do? Are we guessing or are we reading? Alright, so the growth hormone, the luteinizing hormone, the uh, prolactin, thyroid stimulating hormone, it releases all of those and those go and innervate and control all of the other pituitary glands. That's what you need to know. The thyroid gland secretes thyroxin when the uh, body's uh, metabolic rate decreases and if metabolism or the metabolic rate is decreasing, what is decreasing then? What what are they not doing enough of then? Doing sugar and producing what? Energy. energy. That's right. Because um, uh, the metabolic rate of metabolism speaks to energy production. If someone then, so if someone, say thyroid gland, isn't producing enough, uh, isn't working properly enough to where energy is being produced like it should what do we call that not low no not low blood sugar but it's hypo something right because it's lower insufficient hypothyroidism so if they're not producing enough energy how do you think these people will present tired lethargy things of that nature that's correct The pancreas is considered both an endocrine gland and an exocrine gland. What's the difference? What's endo mean? It's yeah, yes. But endo means within. Exo means? Okay, close enough. Basically, it secretes stuff inside the body or into the bloodstream and then it It secretes things outside of the body, too. The endocrine component secretes the hormones uh, from the cell groups called the islets of Langerhans. And we talked about this last class. And we talked about it before in Chapter 5. What cells in the islets of Langerhans produces insulin? Huh? Why would you say beta cell? What does the alpha cell produce? Alpha cells produce, remember I told you uh, there's no A in insulin. So A, alpha cells in the islets produces what? Glucagon. Beta cells produce insulin. What exactly does insulin do anyhow? Do what? The cells to receive the sugar. Okay. Basically, it. it <clears throat> back in chapter five, we talked about diffusion, right? And that's when oxygen, carbon dioxide, and other things pass through a semi-permeable membrane to equalize things, right? So, what is facilitated diffusion then? What does it mean if you facilitate something? You kind of set it up, you make it happen, right? 
So when we're talking about insulin and sugar or gl- the glucose molecule and the cells, that's more of a facilitated diffusion. But basically, when you look at the cell walls, and this obviously is not absolutely correct, Just looking at those, and those are glucose molecules, by the way. Looking at those and the semi-permeable membrane that makes up the cell, why do you think that couldn't get inside the cell? Looking at my drawing. It's too big, right? And in reality, that's accurate. The glucose molecule is too large to pass by itself through the semi-permeable membrane of the cell. So what it needs is insulin will come in here and open those passageways to the cell to where the glucose can enter the cell. So insulin allows sugar to enter the cell. So if you don't have insulin, what happens to the sugar as you continue to eat and the carbohydrates are broken down into simple sugars. What builds up where? In the blood. Hyperglycemia, right? Excess sugar. Anemia is presence in blood or something like that, remember? So hyperglycemia is excess sugar in the blood. But the problem is it can't get to the cell. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down so far? All right. And alpha cells produce, beta cells produce. Glucose is a major source of energy for the body, and without glucose, brain cells rapidly suffer permanent damage. Brain cells rapidly suffer permanent damage without that sugar, and even though it doesn't say so here, without that oxygen as well. Brain cells begin to die how fast without oxygen? begin to 6 to 10 but definitely after 10 there's problems. Insulin is needed to allow the glucose to enter the individual body cells to fuel uh, their functioning. It also stimulates the liver to store excess glucose. Extra sugar is stored in the liver. Alright. And where does the insulin, when the insulin is secreted from the islets of Langerhans in the pancreas, at what point does it enter the digestive tract or the digestion process? Physically, at what part of the digestive tract does it enter? That's right, because that's where that, uh, the bile, and all the other things that helps break the food down, completely turning it from chime into stool and extracting all the the stuff out of it. But you can see right here the way you've got the islets of Langerhans and then there is the Dwight. So it's all right there. When blood glucose levels are elevated, insulin, in, uh, insulin increases cell membrane permeability and mediates the transport of glucose across the cell membrane. And that's what what I've already said. 
when the blood glucose levels decreases, glucagon enters the bloodstream and raises the blood glucose levels. How does glucagon do that? Pulls it from the liver. That's correct. What uh, page were your medication cards on that we've already started looking at? I don't know. All right, everybody. So let me run a couple scenarios by you then. Let's say a diabetic ate his normal meal, but then didn't take his insulin. Where will the sugar accumulate? In the bloodstream. Everybody sees that, right? Because once all the, the food's broken down, the, the, the carbohydrates are turned into sugars, it can't enter the cells, so it accumulates in the bloodstream, becomes a problem. Alright, so let's say a diabetic didn't eat its normal meal. Didn't eat it all, as a matter of fact. But still took his insulin. Where will the sugar be? In the cells, what little's there is going to be going. The cells will uptake it, right? So there won't be any left in the blood. Turns out, which is a problem too, right? So let's say they eat their normal meal, they took their insulin, but they overexert themselves. What's the problem? So what's the problem? Is it hyper or hypoglycemia? Hypo. They ate the normal meal, they took their insulin, but they threw up right after they took their insulin. What might the problem be, hyper or hypo? What did we say? I hear hypo and I hear hyper. They took their insulin and threw up, right? Okay, so it would be hypo. Y'all see where we're going with this, right? And there's a total different set of signs and symptoms as they pertain to hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia, okay? Endocrine disorders can be caused by hypersecretion, uh, overactivity, or insufficient secretion, but that boils down to hypo and hyper whatever, okay? Hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism, hyperglycemia, uh, hypoglycemia. It depends on whatever we're talking about. Diabetes mellitus is a metabolic disorder associated with a group of complex diseases and has many causes. Okay. Um, the three P's, the three P's of hyperglycemia. The three P's of hyperglycemia. Polyphagia, which means what? Increased appetite. Increased appetite. Polydipsia. Excessive thirst. And then polyuria. Excessive urination. Again, the body tries to compensate for everything. How are we officially diagnosed as a diabetic? What about the urine? They test the urine, and then if they find 
sugar in the urine. Well, huh? Well, they they may, but basically they took it, look at the urine. If there's sugar in there, whammo presto, you're a diabetic. Because why is the sugar in the urine? Because it couldn't process it normally in the body. The kidneys filter it out, okay, and you urinate it out. But what does it take to do that? To move that sugar, whole bunch of water, excessive thirst, excessive urination. So the three P's of hyperglycemia you will see again, I'm certain of it. Polyphagia, polydipsia, polyuria. Diabetes is responsible for a myriad of life-altering complications, decreased kidney function over time. Why do you think that's true? There you go. Risk of arthrosclerosis and coronary artery disease, cerebrovascular disease, stroke, hypertension, and neuropathy. Those wild fluctuations of really high, really low blood sugar just really do a job on all the organs and the nerves in the body. Um, you'll And you'll find as you start running your loyal customers, some of them are going to be diabetics that just don't take care of their, of their disease, right? So you go to them on a regular basis. Unconscious snoring, pale, cool, uh, pale, cool, diaphoretic skin, uh, the classic signs and symptoms of insulin shock or hypoglycemia. And then you'll show up one day, and they'll be missing a big toe. And then you'll rock along like that, and you'll show up again another day, missing a foot on the same side. And then they'll keep doing their business, you'll keep doing yours, and then next thing you know, they're lopped off at the knee. Diabetic neuropathy. The wild fluctuations in sugar really mess up peripheral uh, circulation causes nerve damage. Um, diabetes for most people is very manageable. Okay, now you have some folks, bless their heart, that any simple little thing will throw their sugar out of whack. So um, I'm not making a blanket statement when I say it, but typically diabetes can be controlled and lived with and function normally. Again, left untreated uh, diabetes mellitus results in organ system dysfunction, wasting of body tissues, and then, of course, eventually death. All right, type 1 diabetes mellitus has another name. But but let me back up. Let me ask you. When and how do do people typically get type 1 diabetes? Okay, congenital. They're born with it. Or it develops when they're very young. So type 1 diabetes mellitus is called juvenile diabetes. And they are typically insulin dependent. 
they have to take shots. Or they have an insulin pump that they wear on their, you know, belt or whatever. Name of what? What name? Juvenile diabetes. Okay, yep. Again, type 1 always requires the use of insulin. And, of course, as you can see here, some folks have a little insulin pump on their side that uh, administers the medication at uh, the appropriate times and doses. All right, type 2 diabetes or adult onset. Yes, sir. I had a question about that insulin pump. Is that permanently like inserted in their body and it's just working on its own, or is that something they take? No, it, there's, a, there's a little tube that runs out of that pump and enters into a place where they basically insert, inserted a needle into the skin, and it's there, and then it pumps the, the insulin through the little tube into the into the fatty tissue but it, it's not you know they take disconnect the pump pull the needle out and redo it once that little insulin vial runs out but it's not like surgically implanted or anything like that type 2 diabetes mellitus or adult onset diabetes uh, a lot of times uh Especially when you get a little bit older, you get a little bit overweight, your eating habits aren't that well, you can kind of develop this diabetes. Uh, blood sugar uh, levels are elevated. Um, again, it typically develops in the middle ages, but is becoming more common in younger people. Why, just your opinion, why do you think diabetes is becoming uh, more prevalent in younger people? And? Yeah, sedentary lifestyle, not eating properly. All right, some symptoms of untreated type 2 diabetes, fatigue, nausea, frequent urination, thirst, unexplained weight loss, blurred vision, wounds that are slow to heal, and they can eventually become unresponsive and... They can actually have seizures as well. Um, urination, thirst, does that sound familiar? That's two of the three P's right there, isn't it? So, Weight loss is an important factor in helping to control type 2 diabetes. There's a couple of guys at the fire department that work with me right now that recently lost a lot of weight, and they don't really have to take their medicine anymore. For all intents and purposes, their type 2 diabetes is gone, So, which is good. But they both used to take metformin as a pill, uh, basically, which causes a decrease in glucose production. What are these? Yeah, they're different manufacturers version but they're glucometers so what do you think a glucometer measures 
blood sugar levels. What is normal blood sugar levels? And normal is, again, you always treat the patient, not the machine, right? But typically, you should have a blood sugar reading of 80 to 120 milligrams per deciliter of blood. 80 to 120 milligrams per deciliter of blood. It's what they say is normal. Even after eating, should always be that. Yeah, 80 to 120 is normal. So, but again, I tell you, if they're 60 and showing no signs and symptoms, do you think they're hypoglycemic? You always treat the patient, not the machine. So there's a guy, I hate to keep talking about the fire department, but hell, that's what I know. There's another guy at the fire department, he normally runs in the 40s. Now, he's a little touched, but it ain't got nothing to do with his blood sugar. That's normal for him. He's always in the 40s. So treat the patient, not the machine, but just know 80 to 120 is quote-unquote normal. Okay. So if registry gives you a scenario and someone has an altered mental status and they have a blood sugar level of 48, what's the problem? Hypoglycemia. There you go. Prediabetes is a condition identified in people who have uh, certain risk factors associated with type 2 diabetes. It exists when the blood sugar levels or the hemoglobin A1C levels are above normal. Risk factors include older than 45, being overweight, and a family history. I'm quite certain someone would consider me a pre-diabetic then, because I, I check every one of them. But the good news is, Losing 5 to 7% of my body weight and at least 150 minutes of physical activity per week can prevent the onset. And I would know those numbers because that just, to me, sounds like something registry would ask you. Yes, sir. That one? All right. All right. So we've been talking about diabetes mellitus, diabetes insipidus, type 1 diabetes mellitus, or juvenile diabetes, and then type 2 diabetes mellitus, or adult onset. What is gestational diabetes? Yeah, these ladies aren't diabetics normally. But then when during pregnancy, anytime you see gestation or gestational, we're talking about pregnancy, okay? They de develop diabetes while pregnant. Child's delivered, guess what happens to the diabetes? Goes away, okay? If when high levels of glucose enters the fetus, causing an increased production of insulin by the fetus. Um... Diet modification, exercise, checking their blood sugar regular should control it. 
hypoglycemia or low blood sugar, often the result of having taken too much insulin, too little food, or both. Or sufficient insulin, sufficient food, but overexertion. All these things can lead to hypoglycemia. The body's first line of defense against low blood glucose is to reduce insulin production. The body's second line of defense is the secretion of catecholamines by the adrenal gland. So if someone is becoming hypoglycemic with this in mind, and that first line of defense doesn't fix it, and we're still continuing down this hypoglycemic road. And it reduces, and so the body starts secreting those catecholamines. What do you think the skin will look like? Pale, Pale cool, diaphoretic, because what are the catecholamines released by the adrenal gland? What are they? Epinephrine. So what do you think the pulse rate's going to be? What do you think, what do you think the pupils might do? Okay. Respiratory rate. All the things that adrenaline does to the body is going to happen, right? That kind of puts you in the mind of shock, right? So what do you think we call it when they're hypoglycemic? We sometimes call that what? Insulin or diabetic shock. Hypoglycemia. It's because of that second line of defense when the catecholamines are released. I'm telling you now, if you go to a diabetic, you find out that they're diabetic, and you walk in the house and they're unconscious, snoring, and this this the skin is pale, cool, diaphoretic, they're gonna be something happened, the sugar bottomed out. I'm telling you now. Sir? Yep, you have pale, cool, diaphoretic. They're gonna be wet, pale. Snoring. Sugar's low. But let me ask you a question. What do you do if you can't determine whether their sugar's high or their sugar's low? You, no matter what. In reality, you should never be in that position. Okay? But let's just say all the stars and moons align perfectly. And for whatever reason, you cannot determine whether they're suffering from hyperglycemia or hypoglycemia. What should you do? Do what? Give them sugar, right? Now, why is that? That is correct, but why? That's correct. Hypoglycemia is going to kill them pretty quickly, right? Hyperglycemia, if they're high and you give them more sugar, that's really not going to cause an immediate problem. But withholding the sugar, what did one of these first slides say about the brain and sugar? Is rapidly going to permanent damage. That's correct. So if you don't know, you treat hypoglycemia. If you're not sure, give sugar. But you should always know. Uh-oh. All right. In patients with type 1 diabetes, the insulins of Langerhans 
cannot make insulin. So there's no insulin in the body whatsoever. Type 2 diabetes, there may be... You may have type 2 diabetes that can control it with just eating smaller meals. Plus the pills or whatever. Um, Type 2... Uh, like I said, the pancreas can generate insulin, but sometimes, especially if you eat larger meals, it can't handle the workload, so to speak. Patients will experience trembling, a rapid heart rate, rapid shallow respiration, sweating, and a feeling of hunger. Why are they feeling all these things? That's second line of defense, right? All right. I tell you what y'all do. Y'all. So we'll get started back. Hyperglycemia occurs when the blood glucose levels remain elevated. And, of course, we know that already. But hyperglycemic crisis is a state of unresponsiveness resulting from several problems, but mainly we're looking at elevated levels of blood glucose. The onset may be rapid or gradual, and common causes of DKA, and we'll talk about that in a second, exactly what that means, include infection, injury, alcohol use, emotional distress, and illness such as a stroke. DKA. What does that stand for? Somebody look in your book and tell me what DKA stands for. Diabetic ketoacidosis. Okay. Back up just a little bit. What are the two things all cells require to produce energy? Oxygen and sugar, right? And what are the byproducts of that? A little bit of carbon dioxide, right? A little bit of moisture, a little bit of heat. So if there's no oxygen present, do the cells still produce energy? Yes, it's called anaerobic metabolism, right? What are the byproducts of that? Lactic acid. All right, so now look on the other side. Let's look on the sugar side. We've already said oxygen and sugar is what's normal. For, uh, that's what's norm, they normally use to produce energy, right? And it produces carbon dioxide, a little bit of moisture, a little bit of heat. What if there's no sugar present in the cell? Well, do the cells still produce energy? Yes, there's no choice, right? Because if they don't produce energy, they die. So what does the cell then use to produce energy? Fat. Okay? They use fat to produce energy. What are the byproducts of metabolism when the cells use fat? They are called ketones. Ketones are acid. So, diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA. What do you think if someone's having to think about it? And, I, and I, we've stopped just short of a full acid base balance lecture, but we've kind of lectured around it four or five times already. What are some things that the body does to control your acid? But what happens before that? What body system kicks in is your second line of defense for if you're too acidotic. 
through respirations, remember? Because hydrogen follows carbon dioxide, remember that? I told you that the respirations were inversely proportionate to, to your acid level. But long story short, if someone is in DKA, they will experience, you know, typically they're going to be unconscious now, but rapid and deep respirations called Kuzma's respirations. Rapid and deep respirations, they're blowing off those ketones. What will their breath smell like? They say a fruity type odor. I never in my life ate no fruit that smells like that. I would throw that fruit away. Now, but they will have acetone breath. And their breath smells like acetone. Huh? <laughs> All right, so... Diabetic ketoacidosis, all right? Again, extremely high blood sugar. What's normal blood sugar? 80 to 120. We're probably looking about blood sugar levels around 400, 500, 600, something like that, okay? Diabetic ketoacidosis, do you think that's more commonly associated with type 1 diabetes or type 2? You can look in your book. I don't care. You had a 50-50 shot, man. So, now that said, HHNC, even though we haven't really talked about that yet, what type of diabetes do you think that's normally associated with? <laughs> All right. So again, common causes of diabetic ketoacidosis include infection, injury, alcohol use, emotional distress, and illnesses such as a stroke. Let's see. All right. Loss of water in large amounts. Spilling that excess sugar over into the kidneys, right, to be flushed out. And you can see here, 80 to 120 is normal. Below 80 plus signs and symptoms would be hypoglycemia. Above 120, like hyperglycemia, you get around about 400. That's when you're, you're really looking at a crisis. You're probably looking at the diabetic ketoacidosis or the HHNC. That being said, HHNC, what does that stand for? And now your book might have honk, H-O-N-K, or something like that. It's the same crap, all right? But H-H-N-C is hyperglycemic, hyperosmolar, non-ketonic coma. Hyperglycemic, hyperosmolar, non-ketonic coma. Now, they're unconscious, right? 
But break that word down. Hyperglycemic, we knew that already, right? Because we're talking about hyperglycemia and hyperglycemic crisis. So we knew they're hyperglycemic. Just scratch hyperosmolar for now. It don't even matter. Non-ketonic. What does that tell you? No ketones are being produced, right? So if no ketones are being produced, what do they not exhibit? Will they have Kuzmal's respirations? Nope. Will they have that acetone breath? Nope. They'll be unconscious and their blood sugar will be high. They're probably type 2 diabetic. So diabetic, laying unconscious, two of them. One's breathing fast and deep and got a nasty breath, all right? Got a case of the Zackleys. Who knows what that is? Breath smells exactly like their backside, all right? The other one's breathing normally. Which one's type 1? Which one's type 2? Type 1 is the one with Kuzmals. That's a Fred Sanford joke. Who knows who Fred Sanford was? No. Yeah. All right. If proper fluid, rehydration, and insulin are not given, ketoacidosis will, prog- will progress to unresponsive diabetic coma and eventually death. Diabetic coma, that's hyperglycemia on the extreme, right? What did we say hypoglycemia was called sometimes? Insulin shock or diabetic shock. So let's say insulin shock. And again, that, that shock is thrown in there because the second line of defense when the blood sugar is going down, down, down is it releases catecholamines, right? And that's what causes the skin to become pale, cool, diaphoretic, and a heart rate to go up and all those other things. Uh, and we're going to say much more of a rapid onset with the... Uh, 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 no, no, excuse me. No, scratch that. Scratch that. No. That's hypoglycemia. I was I messed up. So type two, let's see, normal respirations. And you do need to know that hyperglycemic crisis has a slower onset. Hypoglycemic crisis has a more rapid onset. Hypoglycemia also has Bizarre behavior associated with it sometimes. Some of these people will be downright mean. So, anyhow. So, that you're going to have that wild and bizarre behavior sometimes. It's associated with, with hypoglycemia. And again, some people don't do what they're supposed to do. And, if, and just so you know, and you'll figure it out, if you go to the same address four times... For a diabetic emergency and you have to wrestle four times, what do you think is going to happen the fifth time you go? Table 21-2. I suggest you study this chart because it's going to point out differences between hypo and hyperglycemia. But again, uh, if y'all got this, we can't erase this. And what? If, and just looking at that chart, just tell me 
what are some things that are characteristic for hypoglycemia? Okay. Okay. What else? Pale, cool, moist skin. Because they are in what we call insulin shock, right? Or diabetic shock. What else for hypoglycemia? Confusion. Confusion. Bizarre behavior. Rapid onset. More of a rapid onset. That's correct. All right, what about hyper? What's the skin like in hyper? Warm and dry. Warm and dry. All right, give me something else. We call those diabetic comas, right? Thirsty. All right, the three P's. We can just put that. Polydipsia, polyuria, polyphagia. And again, the body's trying to flush that excess sugar out through the kidneys, and that takes a lot of water. What else? The acetone breath. There you go. Acetone breath. You might have DKA. Uh, slow onset or slower onset. Y'all get the picture, right? But I would know that chart. Sure would. The hyperosmolar hyperglycemic syndrome, this is what they're calling the HHNC, honk, whatever you want to call it. It's the same stuff. Usually type 2 diabetes. So patient assessment as it, as it pertains or applies to diabetic emergencies, what's your number one priority? Again, if you've been to 35 Smith Street four times and you had to wrestle, who do you think you need to have in route the fifth time you get dispatched to 35 Smith Street? You need to get the popo. 5-0, right? But your safety is, is number one. Doing your primary survey, the ABCs with hyper and hypoglycemia, what might be the problems in the ABCs? Let's say hypoglycemia. What might be the problem? Well, what's going to be the immediate problem that you'll typically discover as soon as you walk in the room? Airway. What about it? Uh, Snoring respirations. What, what's blocking the airway? So what do you need to do? They tilt, chin, lift, unless they've been injured, right? But now, you could do something about this, right? Hypoglycemia. Once you get to advanced, we're going to talk about IVs, we can push D50. And that's like the wonder drug. If they're unconscious, do you put oral glucose in their mouth? No, you don't put anything in their mouth if they're unconscious, because if they're unconscious, they cannot control their airway, right? They could aspirate the sugar. So, uh, airway... Breathing could be an issue if they're hyperglycemic because of the DKA and then the Kuzmals. Get your history, sample history, do your secondary assessment, you know, use a glucometer, take the blood sugar level, 
it says here the normal range for glucose levels in the blood, uh, non-fasting uh, and children is 70 to 120. Listen, for 28 years it's been 80 and 120. That I know of for a fact. Uh, we don't do IVs yet. But again, you need to learn oral glucose. You need to learn that. Go ahead and make your medication card. As a matter of fact, we'll say uh, you'll have a quiz on oral glucose Friday. And what is that right there? Oral glucose. We're not doing the, the uh, D50 yet. So don't even worry about that yet. Just oral glucose. Don't worry about the IM glucagon yet. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Don't even don't sweat that. HHS or honk. Alright. Hematologic emergencies. Hematology. Hema or hemo means what? Blood. blood. Okay, the study of blood. Um, and what are the, we mentioned them earlier, but as far as hematologic emergencies, what are we going to see primarily in the pre-hospital environment, typically? Those that clot too much, those that don't clot enough, and sickle cell, okay? Hemolytic, the lytic, L-Y-T-I-C, what does that mean? The, but, well, hemo's blood, but the, the suffix uh, lytic there, what does that mean? Destruction of. So, hemolytic disorders refer to disease processes that cause a breakdown of the red blood cells. Hemostatic disorders refer to uh, bleeding and clotting abnormalities. Either they do it enough or they don't do it at all. They do it too much or they don't do it enough. Alright, so just a little bit of a review. What does blood do for us? What is the respiratory component of blood? What does the blood have to do with your respirations? To all the cells so you can have the internal respirations, right? Nutritional, obviously it carries uh, nutrients throughout the blood. Excretory. Waste products gets rid of it. Regulatory. Do I? Buddy, I'm deaf. Okay. Temperature. Helps regulate temperature. That's a fact. But it also has those white blood cells and things of that nature. Your, your immune system for the defensive. Plasma is the, the liquid or the straw-colored fluid in the blood. Red blood cells, medical name for red blood cells. And why are they red? Because they're iron-rich. That's correct. And what else do the red blood cells do? 
what does what do the red blood cells contain? Hemoglobin that carries the oxygen. There you go. White blood cells are leukocytes. Obviously, they provide the body with immunity against foreign invaders. And platelets or thrombocytes help to clot blood. And I know I went through that pretty quickly again, but if we're not good with that, let me know. And I'll back up and go a little slower. Uh, Bone marrow, primary site for uh, red blood cells production in adults. In the newborns, where the red blood cells and white blood cells produced? In the liver. Okay. But even as adults, the liver produces clotting factors and filters the blood. The spleen filters and breaks down red blood cells and helps produce the white blood cells. Are we all good with that? As far as blood typing, you know, the blood uh, O, A, O negative, O positive, A, A negative, A positive, B, A, B positive, A, B negative. Uh, are any of y'all A, B negative? You can sell your blood because that's, A, B negative is the rarest blood type. How many of y'all's O positive? Your blood ain't worth crap, just like mine, because it's called pig blood sometimes, because most people have it. Uh, o negative people, or are you O negative? Anybody O negative? O negative people are called the universal donors, because anybody else can take their blood. If you're O negative, sometimes you can sell that blood too, because that, those are the universal donors. Anybody can take their blood. But AB negative is the rarest and I know you can sell that. Don't get too hung up on blood typing just yet. Alright, sickle cell. Sickle cell is the most common inherited blood disorder. Why is it called sickle cell? Red blood cells are shaped like sickles. And what's the in general What's the big problem with the cells being shaped that way? They'll kind of get hung up, clotted up, okay? Now, it says here that sickle cell crisis may manifest in several ways. And But before we even get into that, with the red blood cells misshaping like that, do you think it would ever reduce their ability to transport oxygen? Yes, yes. So... Oxygen administration would probably be a keystone to really treating any sickle cell patient. Would you agree with that? Don't ever forget it. That's correct. This says vaso-occlusive crisis right here. Uh, here they are. Hemolytic crisis, splenic sequestrian crisis. Uh, I think there's one more. Does your book tell you about a, okay, aplastic crisis? I see it. Never mind. Somebody look in the book. And tell me what aplastic crisis says. What is that? The okay, so they're based, they're anemic typically, but it just gets worse. Aplastic crisis. Hemolytic crisis. What's the problem there? Okay, so if the hemoglobin's going down, what do you think they're having problems doing? 
Transporting the oxygen, right? Splenic sequestrian crisis. Okay. If someone is a sickle cell patient and they call 911, is there going to be a difference in the way you're going to treat the vaso-occlusive crisis or the aplastic crisis or the hemolytic crisis or the splenic sequestrian crisis? They're going to complain of what? Mainly. Breathing. Difficulty breathing. So what are you going to do? Okay. You're not going to change the way you treat them based on what type of crisis they're in, but you, do, you need to understand the differences. And again, sickle cells, normal red blood cells, the difference. In acute crisis, the patient may have substantial pain uh, resulting from congested vessels. The sickle cells have kind of accumulated. Uh, mild dehydration, splenomegaly, cardiomegaly. What in the world is that? That means their spleen is enlarged and heart is enlarged, right? They could have cerebral vascular attack. Gallstones, jaundice, you could read all of that, but um, again, the, the main thing they're going to complain of is going to be pain, but difficulty in breathing. Anemia, what is that? Okay. Iron deficiency is the most common type. All right, thrombosis or clotting disorders. If they have blood clot in arterial venous blood veins, they clot too much. And why is that a problem if they really form clots fast? So what happens if one of those clots, which typically forms in the lower extremities, what happens if one of those clots reaches the brain? What's that called? Stroke. What happens if one of those clots reaches the heart? myocardial infarction or heart attack. What happens if one of those clots reaches the uh, pulmonary arteries? Pulmonary embolus, PE. Yeah. You're right. All right. Risk factors for, uh, that says thrombophilia. Thrombo, what is thrombophilia? Okay. Recent surgery, that's why when you're in your hospital bed, if you had a surgery and you're going to be there for a little bit, they have those stockings on your legs that pump up and, and deflate, pump up and deflate. They're trying to move the blood through the lower extremities because you're not contracting and relaxing those skeletal muscles so you don't form a clot. Impaired mobility. Congestive heart failure, cancer, respiratory failure, infectious disease, age older than 40, being overweight or obese, smoking and oral contraceptive use. All those 
kind of make you more likely to form clots. Hemophilia, that's when clotting does not occur or doesn't occur sufficiently. Free bleeders, right? Why is that a problem? Yeah, you have a hard time controlling, especially if they have a larger vessel. What if they're involved in some sort of trauma or car wreck or any other kind? What's the big concern there with with somebody who's one of these free bleeding types? Inter- yeah, intracranial bleeding, right? Building up that pressure, ICP. What is DIC? Yeah. Uncontrolled hemorrhage results from the severe reduction of clotting factors. I would just know that term. All right. Scene size up and your safety of someone, let's say, uh, uh, has hemophilia. What What do you think? Do you, you think that might uh, kind of change some of your PPEs? Okay. Primary survey. What do you think? Primary, looking at the ABC, especially if, if they're a free bleeder like that, where's your problem going to be in the primary assessment probably? C, right? That's correct. Again, you want the SpO2 to remain about 94% uh, or higher. Get your history. In a patient with known sickle cell disease, there are certain questions you need to ask. Have you had a crisis before? When was the last time? How did the crisis resolve? Have you had any illness, unusual amount of activity, or stress lately? All these things, obviously, they're going to need to know at the hospital. Oxygen. Oxygen. And some more oxygen. That's what you need to know right now. And of course, transports, you need to get them there. Position of comfort or palliative care is always important. But we'll talk about the rest of that once we get to advance. Bam.